0: Everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneurs Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can DM us there if you have any questions for the entrepreneurs for our show that you want to ask, that we can ask to any entrepreneur, usually. And you can also DM us if you want to be on the show. I appreciate everyone coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate everyone listening to the show. I also appreciate everyone out there who's asking to be on the show that are food entrepreneurs. Um, We are getting back to you guys and we are starting to line up the fall. So I appreciate all of that. We have quite a bit of lineup. I'm still trying to recruit people to finish telling their story. So this episode is one of those. I want to continue to tell the story. It's not just a snapshot into these entrepreneurs life, but an ongoing perspective. The other thing that I want to let everyone know is if you want to find our show or listen to it you can find us or all the other shows we do on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts so that being said thank you everyone for listening in I'm going to introduce our guest his name is Chad Newton he's from Nashville Tennessee how are you doing today Chad
1: I'm doing great Justin thank you so much and thanks for having me
0: I didn't mess up your name or anything, did I? Sometimes I do that.
1: No. Perfect. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you are
0: the owner of Eastside Me, East uh, Eastside Fa, and Sweeza, mm-hmm. all located in East Nashville. But when we last yep. left you, we were talking about in part one, so everyone should go back and listen to that. We heard your story. We heard your journey. But you were deciding to leave – and get out of Asian box in California in the Bay Area and I'm not sure why or or totally I think we started to talk about it but why leave and why go to Nashville and why start a business in Nashville out of all places so I mean take as much time as you want this is your episode and obviously as we discussed last time the more details the better but talk to me a little bit about how you pick up and move basically with a wife and decide to go to Nashville and leave a business behind.
1: Sure. Sure. It was just one of those uh, situations where a lot of things accumulated to get to the point where it was just time for a change. And I know a lot of people go through that in their careers, whether or not it's personal or business or a mix of both usually. Right. Um, But it was literally just time for that change. We had, a couple of things happening to us on the personal side, a little bit of tragedy that I'm not going to go into, but it was definitely one of the uh, factors of us kind of wanting to just get a little bit of a life change. And it was that, that juncture too with the business that uh, it was in really good hands and something that we kind of created uh, was in great hands and moving forward. And we knew it would be a good time to step away and kind of do our own thing. And, um, so that's, that's the biggest piece of it. And everyone usually asks us why we chose Nashville. And the answer is, is that uh, I love the South. We love the South. Uh, the hospitality here, the food history, just everything about it was just so welcoming, just like the South, the South should be. Like the world of hospitality in the South is just amazing. And it's got such a great reputation. And it's so true. Plus it was a little bit of a slower life. We were right in the heart of, living in Silicon Valley, right? in like the Menlo park Palo Alto area, that's where we lived. And that's where our headquarters were for work. And it's just such a busy bustle at all times, which can be a lot, uh, can be great a lot of the times, but we were just at that point where we just needed kind of a, a new change and wanted to do something else. Uh, so we were looking around the South and traveling to a lot of different cities down, down in the South. And, uh, somehow just kept coming back to Nashville and kept really enjoying it and really loved the restaurants and the bars and the, and the food scene and the chef scene. And everyone told us how, um, great the community was here. Not only just the actual community that supports restaurants, um, but also the restaurant industry community, which is so supportive and so, uh, collaborative and so, uh, uh, synergetic down here. It's just such a great feeling. And, as build, as everyone said, uh, it really turned out to be that way here. And so that's why we ended up here. Um, we just continued to love it and kept coming back and going like, Hey, we want to be here. And obviously on the business side, it's a lot easier to do business here than in California. Uh, we all know that, uh, you know, just rental rates alone or just the price and cost of doing business is exponentially different here. Um, A lot of the laws, a lot of the, you know, the, that side of it were a lot friendlier to businesses and to small business owners. And so that's why we wanted to be in Nashville. And the other thing is, like, you know, we thought we were going to be missing, you know, the high-end restaurants or the really cool concepts and whatnot, but Nashville has them. You know, you have, like, the Catbird Seat, which is doing amazing food. You have a bunch of others, Bastion, whatever. I could go on and on. So it's not like we were going to be kind of losing any, caliber of the great restaurants we love being in in california Uh, um there's not as many here but there's enough to kind of keep that thing going and just the environment and everything about doing business here and the chef community has been unbelievable and it's just been a great decision for us and we've been here for over three years now three and a half years and just absolutely love it and this is our home so that's how we ended up on in in nashville i
0: mean were you i just it's so crazy to me because out of all the places to pick i just didn't i mean i don't know i understand how i ended up there randomly but for you guys to end up there randomly it's just so incredible like I'm, i'm i'm blown away by it
1: yeah and you know the other thing is is that we knew we wanted to do um something asian something vietnamese that was what we were going to do, we're going to play off of Gracie's skills and talents and her success. And what what we wanted to do our own thing. We wanted to open up a small neighborhood restaurant. And as we researched here, we realized there was a ton of white space in the, in the Asian sector. So we looked into that heavily looked upon that and looked around all around town and realized that, you know, there's a lot of room to do something really, really cool um, in, in the Asian, in the Asian part. And so we opened up a Bon me shop and that was what we wanted to do. We wanted to kind of get away from the corporate side of having 10 units and operating them and having a board of directors and 20 investors and all the kind of stuff that goes with that. And we just wanted to get back to basics of having fun again together in a restaurant space and doing what we love because we still love the restaurant business. Even when we were a little burnt out in California, we still loved it. We still wanted to be in it. We just needed a new setting for it to be able to continue our story and to build our own personal story of being in the business.
0: Yeah, this is um, this is really cool, actually. And like, I know we like I know this because we've talked and and we're working on you know trying to get you know the a different thing. And you guys are involved in the things we're doing with the TV show. Um, that the audience definitely mm-hmm. knows about that we're working on and trying to get on a network and trying to do all the stuff that we're doing and jumping through the hoops and it's like a crazy world that whole side of the world but you guys yes. locally source a lot of things right and so talk to me a little bit about like locally sourcing uh, how you found it because you came to Nashville and I know you're at the farmers markets and you've met some of the team that's working on Futopia there and Like, what has that been like for you um, to come to a new place to locally source and why locally source or why do what you're doing um, in Asian food? Like, let's talk a little bit about that. You've picked it because of Gracie. You've picked it because of the background. You were an Asian box, but you've had to build a whole new support system here. So can we talk about all of that, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just basically all we knew from from cooking and having restaurants in the bay area in california i mean there's so much bounty there from the central valley to wine country uh just to everywhere there's just so much local small producers um, of all kinds of things meats cheeses pottery vegetables of course i mean it just goes on and on and you have the coast there for all the seafood so you're coming from this area that's just so bountiful and it's just so normal and kind of the going rate to work with all these small farms and small producers. And we always did that. And that kind of goes back to our fine dining days. You know, one of the restaurants that I was an executive chef at, uh, you know, one of their philosophies was nothing could come from outside of a hundred mile radius, you know? So it's just like, that's, that's like kind of all, you know, growing up in San Francisco kitchens, right? Is this like local bounty and you would be stupid not to use it. Um, but I think what's, what's huge about it is that you're also supporting small business that way and farmers and producers and, and, and ranchers and all that. And so when we, when we came here to Nashville, um, we, uh, ended up in a, where we bought our house was in an area, uh, that's somewhat close to the country. Uh, we're a little older now, so we like to be, in the quiet neighborhoods, if you will. Uh, But we happened to be just 10 miles or 10 minutes from the Franklin farmer's market. And so when we got here, we went to it. First thing we probably did was go to the farmer's market, right, just to see what was going on. And it was super bountiful and super beautiful and colorful and just like we had remembered from California. And so we were super excited about that to be able to have such a great local farmer's market literally right by our house. And as we started going, and this is kind of part of the story of, you know, what we've talked about for Foodtopia is that our first, you know, forays out in Nashville while we're here is, you know, going to check out a whole bunch of restaurants to a, just like learn about everything here to support, um, but also just be a part of it. Uh, but also to go to the farmer's market and support farmers and see what was going on and doing all that. So it's a combination of supporting all the restaurants within the industry, but then also the the purveyors as well. And um, so going there, we found a couple of really great uh, local producers. One of them was Bloomsbury Farm and uh, Lauren Palmer, who's amazing there. And so we've featured her vegetables on our menus since day one. Um, The other one was Bear Creek Farm with uh, Leanne and family. It's a family run business um, that produces uh, beef and pork, cows and pigs. And when we tasted all that in the beginning, we looked at each other and literally went, wow, this is like some of the best beef and pork we've ever tasted. And we've been, you know, around the country left and right and, you know, internationally and, and whatnot. And we were just blown away by the quality of the products um, overall, but especially with those two. And so when we moved here in 2020, uh, we hit the road. And literally as we hit the road to drive out here on a, a little extended road trip, um, we uh the the tornadoes ripped through nashville and so as we're hitting the road that happens it went right by our restaurant that we had just leased in east nashville and had some really bad destruction and and devastation here locally um and then when we got here uh you know COVID happened shortly after that or or you know kind of everyone went into lockdown so that was our first days here of just some really unsettling times And what was better to do during COVID than be able to just cook at home? And that's kind of all we ended up doing. The restaurant was being built and designed at that time. So there's a lot of downtime of us, you know, just figuring out what the restaurant was going to look like and how it was going to build out and all that. And while it was being built. And so we would go to the farmer's farmers market and just get tons of food. And Gracie and I would just cook at the house. And most of the time it was a combination of Bloomsbury farm and Bear Creek farm you had meats and veggies together and we would just cook at home together and that's kind of how it all all came about so i guess the answer to that is that it's just something that we've always done and always known and we you know picked up and moved to nashville but we found that support system here just like you were saying of how to get great products locally at the restaurant we also use uh, gifford's uh smoked bologna which is like two blocks from us in east nashville which is a small artisan bacon and bologna company uh, you know our, all of our plates at the restaurant were by rv pottery which is just 45 minutes west of nashville and dixon tennessee and so like we started using all these local purveyors because that's kind of just all we knew and that's what we love to do oh uh, it was it was pretty easy to do it um uh, and so that's why we do it because it just made sense
0: Talk to me about the menu of East Bond Me. Like, uh, number one, what is a bond for anyone who doesn't know? Um, it's will you explain that? Explain the name. Explain the concept. Explain the menu and how you developed the menu.
1: Yeah, sure. So at East Bond Me, uh, we specialize in Bond Me sandwiches, which is a Vietnamese sandwich. And the Vietnamese sandwich was, uh, it's a touch tragic, uh, right? Uh, based off of history, but. When the French colonized uh, Vietnam, basically, they brought in baguettes, the bread part, and some other things, um, you know, like the mayo and, um, you know, some of the uh, other meats, like the charcuterie style meats, like, you know, the hams and the the terrines and things like that. And that mixed perfectly with all the fresh flavors of uh, Vietnam, being the pickles and the herbs and the jalapenos, you know, because that's what Vietnamese food is all about. is like having that spectrum of flavors that all work together so well. So you have your sweet, your spicy, your sour, your salty, and all those things. And so the banh mi sandwich was born out of that history. And putting those items together on a sandwich just was so natural and so easy, and it tastes so great. And so it's definitely like one of the world's best sandwiches. If you've never had a banh mi, you gotta go out and get one because they're amazing. It has all of those textures and flavors and it's just, it's just an awesome thing and it's portable and handheld. So at Eastside Ba Mi, we celebrate that. And Gracie and I did years and years of research about uh, Ba Mi sandwiches. So half of her family is from Houston. The other half is in Orange County, California. And so those are two of the biggest uh, Vietnamese populations that are in the United States at this point are in Houston and in Orange County. And so we were there all the time visiting family. And every time we would visit family, we would go out and try to get banh mi sandwiches from all these different places. And so as we did that, we also realized, you know, how do we make this into like a main menu item? Because in most uh, banh mi shops or Vietnamese places that had the banh mi, the banh mi traditionally is uh, a snack eaten throughout the day. It could be for breakfast, lunch, dinner, or whatnot. It generally goes with coffee uh, really well. And so these sandwiches that you're getting, sometimes are like a dollar each, even in the states. And there's some places that have like, you can get, you know, ten for eight bucks or something. It's crazy, and they're very they're smaller on the smaller side, and they're more like a snack. Um, and so, what we wanted to do at Eastside Bon Me is celebrate the Bon Me. So, a we bake our own bread. So, Gracie developed um, her own recipe of making a Bon Mi bread that was a little sturdier. And the idea is we wanted to make a full-size sandwich that could be a full meal. and So she did a lot of research, a lot of R&D, and really workshopped it out. And we kept pushing on the dough and trying to figure it out. So we wanted to have a little sturdy of our bread. So she kind of did a, a hybrid of traditional banh mi bread uh, with a little bit of uh, dough. And I know you've been talking about dough a lot recently. Um, so she made like a peluche, uh, which is like a, kind of like a starter but not all the way. And so her bread process takes like three days total to age and improve and get shaped and all that. So it's a really like kind of cool, but long process. And um, that's the structure of all the bread. And then so all the ingredients you have on it are the different meats and the vegetables and all the things. So all of the other components that we put on the sandwich are absolutely 100 percent traditional authentic. So if you're pickled carrots and daikon, you have your butter mayo, they kind of call it, because it's a very thick mayo um, that uh, almost has a consistency of like a, a looser butter, but it's called "ba" in, in Vietnamese, and it kind of refers to like a, a butter mayo. And then there's fresh cucumber for a little bit of crunch. Uh, did I say the Pickled carrots and daikon, which is the classic kind of sweet and sour pickles. And then you have jalapenos and cilantro, other fresh elements and like heat elements. You throw that all on a sandwich with a different kind of protein and it's unbelievable. And so what we do is we have uh, nine different sandwiches on the menu. And so we have vegetarian ones. We have we can even do them vegan. Uh, We have a slow roasted pork that we get from Bear Creek Farm we do a chop steak which is like really good ground steak from them that we griddle on the flat top and put it on the sandwich and so again it's like a very traditional authentic sandwich shop and we think think we've taken the banh mi and like improved it slightly by making it a little bit bigger we also do put a lot more mayo on traditionally than than, than most folks do in the little banh mi shops but that was one of the preferences that we had when we tasted it we thought there could be more moisture and so we add that and then it's finished with like a little bit of a, a sprinkling of this uh, soy kind of base sauce called Maggie, which is not a soy sauce, but it's like a soya bean. Um, and so you get this beautiful sandwich and that's what Eastside Balmine is all about. We also do have um, uh, bowls that we serve there that use a lot of the same components as the sandwich, but those are for people that are gluten free or just don't want the bread. So we have like Gracie's big salad with a choice of protein, a rice bowl, Uh, a vermicelli vermicelli rice noodle bowl. Um, And then we also have a couple of uh, rolled to order fresh spring rolls and we serve Vietnamese iced coffee and all that. So it's a fast casual restaurant where you walk up and order at a register. We like to call it fine casual because it's definitely in a neighborhood restaurant setting that's designed out really well uh, and thought out really well on the design inside. But it's just like a comfortable neighborhood restaurant and you know, we serve Bon mi sandwiches all day long into dinner. People still get tons of sandwiches for dinner. It's crazy. Um, but that's Eastside side bon mi. So.
0: I love this. I think the Mayo thing, it's a Southern thing also. I mean, you're in like Duke's mayonnaise country, right? Um, mayonnaise yep. is, is a big deal in the South. And I understand that I love mayonnaise, but you know, I think that there's something unique there. I think like you're doing something that's traditional, um, but yet at the same time you're adding your guys own flair to it and you're adjusting adjusting to your customer base and you know just out of curiosity which one of those is your is your most popular
1: the slow roasted pork by far so it makes sense because this is this is pork country here and everyone told us that when we first moved here and we didn't underestimate it but we just wanted to see for ourselves and by far I mean, I want to see if we've been open for three. We just hit three years and I want to see how many pork sandwiches we've sold. I think it's like a couple hundred thousand. No joke. Um, I'm talking about moving a lot of pork. Um, But, no, you're absolutely right. So one of the things we want to do is also knowing that the Nashville community had a shortage on Asian restaurants meant that they probably didn't have. A, uh, as good an understanding as someone in California or some of the coastal states might have that has a Chinatown that has, you know, a lot of Asian history. And so you're absolutely right. When we designed the menu, we put in a lot of buzzwords and also other um, components of the sandwiches, and the bowls, and made it a little bit more widely known. So, for example, on our number one Bon mi sandwich, which every Bon mi shop has a number one, and it generally is... A mix of different cold cuts and those cold cuts could be anything and you go to Vietnam it's the same thing there is you know it could be any kind of different kind of meat in tube form that's sliced right or a terrine that's pressed together with off cuts or um, we make our own in-house country pate that we spread on the sandwich but on the number one sandwich here we did ham hock terrine and we did pate our house made pate and we did the smoked bologna because again it fits into being traditional and authentic because it's meat and tube form especially a pork product right um but also just to highlight bologna that's so well known here and the producer is like two blocks away and so it just makes so much sense to have those buzzwords in here um on the menu and things that made it a little bit more localized when we brought it here so if, Exactly. Thanks for pointing that out, Justin, as you are an entrepreneur as well. You understand that menu positioning and engineering can be really important to just try to be relatable, but it still has to make sense traditionally, which it does. Well,
0: and I think one of the major things is understanding your audience. Like I think a lot of people that are entrepreneurs or even in the restaurant space, if they don't start off this way, they get there for some reason. They Their ideas are the most important or they use success. To sort of validate who they are and then validate their ideas versus they stop listening to the consumer base, they stop looking at the audience, and then you really have a business that's just one person, it's you. And so there's things like that that I think are um, important. And I think that in the food business, many businesses don't continue to listen to their audience. They don't continue to adjust their menus. They don't continue to evolve, and therefore, they lose their businesses. You know, It's great to have statistics on food businesses and all that, but what people don't really realize is that it has everything to do with the soft skills, the ability to listen, the ability to adjust the menu, the ability to know who your audience is, the ability to manage your business employees or your team members however you want to look at it so i think that that's all plays a part in what we're talking about here so let's sort of talk about this was there a difference in hiring employees or team members here in nashville uh, versus in california did you see a difference there
1: um i think so but unfortunately as we opened you know it was right in the middle of COVID, so i don't know if that you know, it's probably the best uh, database for it. I mean, we literally opened um, in July. We did soft opening and we opened in August. I mean, you're talking about like the heart of the heart of COVID. There's a lot of people that were just sitting on the sidelines at that time, you know, Um, but there's also definitely people, a lot of people that wanted to work. And so you had this mixed bag. So I don't know, you know, I know overall because I can evaluate both of our businesses in different and in, what, in, you know, some in California and some here, I would say that um, it's maybe a touch easier to hire here. But again, that's kind of skewed because it was all during COVID. Um, but ongoing, I would say it's a little easier to hire here. Uh, and there's some big differences. I mean, Tennessee is a right to work state. Uh, so the employer is a little bit more protected on stuff. If you want to talk about like the business and legal side of it, uh, it's not as litigious here. Um, in tennessee and california there's a lot more requirements and uh different things in place um so i think it's it's definitely a little easier here for sure
0: yeah i think that um that's interesting because everyone would assume that Nashville is harder to find employees and workers, but you, there is like a, a huge migration of, of people going to an exodus to Nashville, if you will, and people looking for jobs or qualified individuals in the hospitality space or in the entertainment space that are more than qualified to be in the food space um, or be trained in the food space. They have the skills. They are trainable, uh, for lack of a better term. So... Let's go into, you're in the middle of COVID. You're opening this business, right? It's three years ago. You're in a new place. Like, how did you pivot and adjust to make sure that there was success in your business or to make sure that it survived?
1: Oh, no, absolutely. Great question. So we had already uh, been very successful in the fast casual business in California, And so we didn't have to pivot anything about our business. We had a great price point, which was around $10. We already did online ordering, delivery, um, a lot of the technological pieces that you need to run a business these days. We had all of that. And so that was already designed in. I mean, I'm telling you before even COVID was fully, uh, you know, full bore, um, we had already designed in like a, a, a pickup counter that was contactless. That was one of the focal points of the restaurant just because that's how we that's what we knew from our other businesses we were very into that there's a ton of people even before COVID, that didn't want to have to check in with anyone they just want to be able to to grab their meal and go right um i'm like that on some days there's some days i just want to go in and grab my sandwich off of the off of the shelf and and go there's other days where i want to talk and have that experience and 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 dine a little bit right so I think what that does is give restaurants a lot of great flexibility. And we already had that in our wheelhouse of everything we did. And so we didn't have to pivot anything. So we were kind of in a really good sweet spot where all these fine dining restaurants or even uh, fast casual restaurants that didn't do that stuff were all of a sudden having to pivot because of COVID and, and build out a, an online ordering program or do delivery or just change the way things were happening within the restaurant. Uh, We didn't have to. We already had all that built in because that's kind of all we knew from the past. Um, But some of the things that we did when we moved here and we're opening the restaurant, which I really, uh, you know, recommend highly to folks to be able to kind of embed yourself into the um, to the industry and the community is that uh, as we were doing our soft opening and whatnot, we were cooking staff meal for tons of restaurants around town and just dropping it off for people to try. So there'd be a restaurant we looked up to, um, like, you know, like let's say Sean Brock or, or Philip Krychek or my Leah at Lou. And we would literally just call them up and be like, Hey, we want to do staff meal for you guys. Can we just cook a bunch of bon me and bring them over to you? Absolutely. And so that was a really good way to kind of get the other chefs around town talking about it and getting their employees to talk about it. Um, And that's one thing that I really recommend highly. And the other piece was we did a lot of farmer's markets in the beginning, not because we were trying to get sales and revenue out of it, but because we wanted to get the food in front of our community and get people to start tasting it. And so that when we did open our brick and mortar, we were, you know, we already had some, uh, some fans and some customers. And that was the difference because like you said, we had moved here from California. No one knew about our background. And still, no one really does. That's the funny part. There's not a real connection between California and Nashville. There's just not. No one pays attention to what's happening out there in the Bay Area market. You know, there might be a few people that do. But the majority of people, they don't know. They don't care. You know, they're in they're Nashville. They want to have it here. It's the same thing in California. You know, there's not a lot of Californians that pay attention to what's happening in Nashville unless you're a, a super restaurant geek like you and I are probably – where we can pay attention to news around the country in the restaurant world. So the majority of the people just don't know. And so we're new people showing up in Nashville with this concept um, and wanted to get in front of people. So we were just doing pop-ups at breweries and at the farmer's market and doing that and just like cooking for people. And that's what we said. We just want to come to Nashville, be humble, put our heads down and cook good food for people and just see what comes of it. And that's kind of what we did. And I thought that was a great kind of intro and, and uh, entrance into, into the market.
0: So let's talk a little bit about this because I think that it's it's awesome what you guys have done. I think the concept is really well put together. Uh, your location is great. Um, did you, as you went into this, do you do delivery um, is the delivery game part of your business model, the, the Grubhubs, the the uh, DoorDash, the Uber Eats? Do you guys use that, and did you use it as part of your, you know, to get through things? And when you were designing your food, did you think about the delivery aspect of it and it holding up in the delivery process if you do do it?
1: Absolutely, 100% from the beginning. I mean, you're talking about in California, we had um, – we had 10 units and we were heavily relied on delivery. We probably did 30% total, you know, of our revenue came out of delivery. It was huge. A funny story going back to it is that when we had our first restaurant in Palo Alto of Asian box, it was right across the street from Stanford University. And um, one, one day I was just working outside of the, out of the restaurant and Grace was at the restaurant and she calls us up and goes, yeah, there's some people here. They're trying to pick up. Uh, it's like a company called DoorDash, and, but we don't know anything about them and we don't know what to do. And so we realized that DoorDash in the very beginning, while they were still, um, you know, trying to create their brand, had featured us on their website as saying that we do delivery with them and we had an even. And so we actually had the founders come down to our office and meet with myself and our CEO, who was my old partner at the time, uh, to kind of call them out and be like, what are you guys doing? And they were Stanford grads from just right across the street at Stanford university. And so that was the first time we met the DoorDash founders and had them in our office and kind of gave them some guidance and told them you can't be doing this. Um, and now they're worth what, like billions, uh, valuation DoorDashes. It's hilarious. Um, But um, they've been good partners over the years. I mean, we did so much business with them in California that we had a weekly standing meeting uh, every week with our, you know, with our managers at DoorDash to talk about all 10 units, both markets. So we had the L.A. market and we had Northern California. And so a very long answer to say that, yes, those uh, relationships and the delivery aspect is super important. And I know it frustrates restaurateurs that sometimes, but I think we all have those times where we want to go out and support a restaurant directly, but sometimes you just need to order food from your couch and we've all been there. Right. And so it just happens. It's just a necessary thing. And if people want to order food that way, then we have to be able to service them. And what I always tell people, especially uh, new restaurateurs that are getting advice, you know, they hate delivery. They don't want to do delivery. They take so much money. Well, well, you have to have good relationships with them. You can't just take whatever rack rate they're offering. You have to have a relationship and build that. And you got to push back on them. And in the delivery world, um, the companies wouldn't exist without the product, right? Which is the restaurant's uh, food. And so we do have leverage there. We need to push back with them and get good deals and get um, marketing initiatives back in return and other things like that. But what I usually would tell uh, restaurateurs that are trying to figure it out or totally against delivery is that okay? We all know that we'd want fully full revenue, just hundred percent. We get that, but secondarily to that, would you have where would you rather have zero revenue or discounted revenue? So, if an item's ten dollars, you want that ten dollar item all the time, right? But would you rather have zero dollars or seven dollars? You'd rather have seven dollars, right? So Work with a delivery company and get seven dollars instead of zero.
0: Exactly seven. So, you know, I agree with you. Can you still hear me, Chad?
1: Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does make it. Sorry, complete... it's a little restaurant speak there, but no, it's no, kind no, of no. Like, would you want? Would you rather have discounted revenue or or no revenue at all? Right? Exactly. So, yeah, I
0: agree with you. And yeah. and sorry, I it broke up a little bit. We're having a little bit of a storm here. So the, um, so, and we are just so the audience knows, I tap in Chad through a cell phone in the soundboard here in the studio. So the, um, which is kind of cool that you can do that by the way. And, um, modern technology is awesome. And the, um, I just find it so cool. I mean, because one of the things that, um, I run around doing it a lot because as I transitioned from one business into another over the last year, and found time and, and done things. I wanted to know what the delivery game was all about. So I have, have experience in it. I've gone out and do it because I'm. It it is relevant to my, our field as owners, yep. as people in the food game. And it's crazy to me. One, it's crazy to me the, um, that businesses don't actually realize that, yes, they charge you money. Yes, they take things from you. Yes, the customer pays more money. But the customers are willing to pay it for the convenience. And to your point, so if you still have profitability in your sale with all your costs being done, maybe it's not as much profit as someone eating there or picking up the food themselves. But it's not as profitable for the customer either. And, you know, they're paying for the convenience. It's probably cheaper for them to get in their car and drive the restaurant and get it to go or eat there. But they're still doing it anyway also. So... Again, there's there's a company that has sort of gotten in the middle. But in all intents and purposes, Chinese food's being been delivered since the 1920s in New York City where all the food delivery game business started. And Domino's Pizza has built their whole model off of deliverable pizza, deliverable food, deliverable wings now, and deliverable whatever else they're into. And so... I think that it's a, a necessary evil. And I will say this to anyone who's in Nashville. It is crazy on the statistics I've seen and the things I've experienced in the, the restaurant tours I've talked to how much delivery is done in Nashville from Wednesday through Sunday or even Monday morning, because people generally go into Nashville oddly on yep. Thursday and then leave Monday morning. Yep. And exactly. so yep. the tourists come in and they buy lots of food. They they have catering size orders. There's they literally the restaurants and some of the places in Nashville have gotten their own customizable catering boxes to fit their pizzas in to fit their dishes in. So the DoorDasher doesn't have to use a DoorDash catering bag or the Uber driver doesn't have to use an Uber catering bag, which is a bigger delivery bag, food bag. It looks like a It's about the size of a cooler. I don't know how to describe it, but it has handles and it's flimsy like a pizza bag, but just way bigger. And um, it's kind of an interesting thing. And as I've done this research, because I believe as entrepreneurs, we always need to humble ourselves. Number one, we we also need to always know what's going on in the food game or we become dinosaurs and we go extinct. So it is a paranoia of mine uh, to constantly be hustling, constantly be learning new things. So I love that. This is sort of where your business has gone. The um let's talk about this and then we'll move on because you we've got another restaurant, a couple restaurants to talk about and a hospitality group. I kept thinking it was gonna be three episodes. We're probably gonna end up with four. But it's um how did you know that the restaurant was gonna be successful? So what are your definitions of success? And what has been your favorite part about East Side Bon Me? So two questions there, the success question and then your favorite part about Eastside
1: Bon Me. So I think um, I think my favorite thing about it and also the measure of success is actually the same thing. And it's 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 one it's one piece of it because when you measure a business, you have to look at a lot of stuff and the easy way out is just to say, like, look at the numbers. But we all know that that's not the full story. But engagement is the, the biggest thing, I think. And to see what our engagement is like with our customers in the community. Um, That's also my favorite part because it's so exciting to see like when you throw on a special or you're doing a collab or a pop-up somewhere, how much traffic you can get and like how much comments you can get and how much people are into it, how excited people are That to me. So that I'm going to take that as my answer for both of those. It's, that's the most exciting thing. And that's my most, favorite thing about looking at the business and and doing what we do. And, you know, my piece of the business um, behind the kind of behind the scenes admin and just making sure that the restaurants all run is the marketing piece. And that's the one thing that I excel at. And that's the one thing that I love. And so being able to come up with these really, really cool events, pop ups, collaborations, specials, wacky stuff. What I like to say is we got to make sure we're always in the news cycle within our own brand. And so we're always having new things to announce and fun things to talk about and for me that keeps the marketing train going but the definition of success for a restaurant a has to be like okay in the end we're all capitalists right we need to have businesses that work uh but it's more than that it's not for the ego it's not for just keeping the business open on a dollars and cents basis for me it's are we creating jobs are we creating a sustainable business um that keeps on creating jobs that allows us to develop people that allows us to compensate people more and more and more down the line as we grow. And so I think uh, from that aspect, I think we are a successful business because we are a profitable business uh, that sees growth all the time on on sales year to year and whatnot. We have a really tight kind of culture and community within our own business with very low turnover. And so those are a lot of the factors that we talk about, like, what does a successful business look like? And this is one of the things when I talk about with our consulting clients is, you know, do you want to create a really cool business that's just cool for the moment, or do you want to create a sustainable business that's going to keep on, you know, allowing folks to be able to join the team and develop and create new jobs for them and create new opportunities for them within their life? That's our way of giving back, right? Uh, and so that's what we owe our, our uh, team and employees is the opportunity to be developed if they want to be, create more opportunity for them. And that's how you create a great culture.
0: I, I agree with you 100%. And like, let's talk about this a little bit also, because let's transition into ESP or Eastside Fa, yeah. but how did you know you had the right team in place at Eastside Bon Me to start to take that step into another restaurant?
1: Uh, sure. No, that's a, that's a great uh, great question. So obviously when we had just one restaurant here with Eastside Meat, it was Gracie and I running it every day. We didn't have our other business to deal with. We just had one thing. We loved it. We loved going into to work together every day and working together all day long and then helping each other to get some breaks and, and whatnot and working together as a team. So you have two very like high-caliber individuals running a smaller restaurant. Uh, it worked out really well. But from day one, we were identifying folks that could you know, take the next step and, and um, do something else with us. And uh, so our first employee, uh, Mary, who's still with us today at three years, uh, has already been promoted to, she opened up ESP as the general manager. And then she, now she's our director of operations for the restaurant group. And she was our first hire as a cashier at Eastside bought me in the beginning three years ago. Um, But how did we know we were ready? We, we, We had a great team in place. Uh, Everything was operating really well. The new restaurant was just a couple blocks down the street. So it wasn't like we were in a new um, neighborhood or a different location or whatnot. And we planned that on purpose. We planned ESP to be a brand extension of Eastside Bomb Me. That's why we named it very similarly. And the shop would just focus on noodles and soups and dumplings. And it would be different enough that it could be its own business and do really well. Um, And so that's why we styled it that way. Uh, Another piece of it is that we, uh, through our restaurant group, You Are Here Hospitality, we have an incubator program. And there was a point where uh, Gracie and I were getting a little tired with day-to-day operations. We needed a little help, the restaurant was busy enough. So we brought on a sous chef uh, for Gracie with the idea that this sous chef would be able to work with us and open up um, his own restaurant one of these days. And that happened. He worked with us uh, for about three months as a sous chef before we realized we didn't, I, I, I shouldn't say before we realized, cause we knew what we were getting in the beginning. This was an individual that had some of the same pedigree I did in the fine dining side, uh, up in Napa, California. And also just had this amazing resume. was very friendly, outgoing, uh, the real deal, if you will. Um, and he had an idea for him and his wife to open up their dream restaurant and already knew the concept and everything about it and was very dialed. And so part of the, the path was for him to start as a sous chef and then hopefully work with us. So, you know, we get to know him. He got to know us, see if we wanted to do a business together someday or even have us support them, open up their own dream biz- business business. And so it went by really quickly. He started off as a sous chef, did so well that we promoted him to executive chef. This is all the time that we are in the process of kind of opening up ESP, the second one. So uh, it all kind of came together on a perfect timing. And uh, we'll get to this later, but it's part of the restaurant group story and about our incubator program. But he, him and his wife just opened up their dream concept uh, two and a half months ago called SS Guy. It's a Thai chicken uh, concept. And so that's how we were able to do it. We had, you know, brought on Chris and his wife, Emma. Uh, Chris as an executive chef, and then Emma was our front of the house manager for a while. Um, And so that's how we kind of grew. So that and the combination of Mary coming from Eastside Bomb Me and basically running that to be our general manager at ESP. So again, it all goes out to the people, right?
0: I love it. I agree with you 100%. (laughs) Um, this is going to be our, my last question of this episode, Chad. But um, yep. talk to me about how the idea comes to open up a fa restaurant. Was it something you guys always talked about? You had just been through the ups and downs of COVID. We talked about the delivery game. We've talked about the team members. You're in a new city. so And you're not going to do what traditionally you did, which was open up more of that restaurant at Asian, Box. You open up like multiple locations of the same concept, but this time you're like, no, let's open up a different concept. So, a little bit, walk me through that, like, why a sure. new concept? Why fa? Just help me understand the transition there.
1: Sure, and so you know, somewhat stinging off of our, uh, you know, our, our exit of California touch or kind of getting a little burnt out on the whole multi-unit thing uh, of the same restaurant. One of our, um, you know, plans when we got here to Nashville uh, was to never scale another brand again. From the beginning, we said, we're just not going to do that. That We want to have, you know, two or three restaurants and just be happy with that little family operation where we really love the food and just can really enjoy all the businesses individually. Um, And so, Pho was the next obvious thing for us because Gracie is really good at that side of uh, the Vietnamese cuisine as well. And one of our things is we like really focused niche restaurants. We don't like the concepts where it's like we're going to open up a Vietnamese restaurant and we're going to feature one of everything through the whole repertoire of Vietnamese food. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to Isai Bami was purely focused on the Bon mi sandwich with a couple other things to make sure that it was a full scale concept and everyone could eat there, hence the bowls. But of course they made a lot of sense with the regular menu. So it wasn't a stretch. And then I thought uh, it's the one thing we loved eating and kind of missed. And Gracie was really good at it. And we thought it would be a great brand extension to open up a little noodle shop. And so that's the kind of the way we looked at it, it was almost more of a brand extension, uh, from Eastside Balmy bon and, you know, just kind of, um, launching off the popularity of Eastside Balmya and knowing that uh, on this side of town, uh, there wasn't a lot of either. Uh, So we decided we wanted to do noodles, Vietnamese soup and dumplings and that's what we did. And the funny thing is, is that now things have changed. Like with Suiza, we're actually wanting to uh, turn that into a scalable brand. That's our little quesadilla shop that we just opened about two and a half months ago. But again, we're kind of going back into that. So it's funny how time changes. But when we first moved here, we said we wouldn't do the same restaurant twice kind of based off of our our times and experience in California and scaling Asian box. Um, And we've we were really serious about that for a few years. And now it just makes sense with Suiza to want to do it. So I guess things do change with everyone. Right. Um, uh, Times change, business changes, things change. So I guess it's okay now. Uh, it just feels right to want to scale Suiza. Um, but when we first moved here, that was like the definite uh, rule: is that we would not do a multi-unit of the same.
0: Love it, um, Chad. Where are where Eastpawn Me located? How can they find it online? And where can they find ESP and uh, or Eastside Fa online and uh, on social media? and also the addresses for anyone in Nashville.
1: Yeah. So East side Bon me is at 1000 Gallatin Avenue in East Nashville, right on the main strip of East Nashville. Um, website is eastsidebonme.com. Uh Instagram is at Me. And so again, that's E A S T S I D E B A N H. M-I. A lot of people, when they put it in, put the H in front of the N on Bond, but it's B A N H M I. So that's Eastside Bond Me. And then uh, Eastside Fa is at uh, 1101 McKinney um, in East Nashville as well. So that's right down the street from it. Um, the website for that is Eat. Eat Esp. So E-A-T-E-S P dot So eat That's the website. And then um, the uh, Instagram handle is that is ESIDFA. And then we have Suiza. Do you want me to go into that one too? Or no? We're just talking about Yeah, yeah. Now. Go so ahead. You know can talk about
0: Suiza since we're gonna talk about it in the next episode. <laughs> we're gonna go back to back here.
1: All right, well we'll leave it for that one then no, that was just we'll do it fun bond me there you go. So there's the two there yeah
0: So uh, everyone in the audience you know stay tuned. We're gonna go right in if you're if you're waiting this episode will, will release and then in two days you'll hear the next part of it but Chad and I are literally gonna go in and write, record the next episode right now. So Chad thank you for for today. I appreciate it we're gonna go right into another one the audience thank you guys. I love you guys. You can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. You can also find us at Justin, the food entrepreneurs. If you like this episode, like what it's, what it's doing the message that it's sending the entrepreneurs, Chad's message, you like his restaurants, please share it. Please give five stars. Please give us a positive comment, uh, in the little box, any of the syndications you listen it on. So thank you guys very much. I appreciate all of you. I love you guys and we're out.